Thank you, Gracie, for sharing your talents with us. We are so blessed to have so many people that are willing to share and give their gifts back to God. And I want to just welcome each and every one of you to Southview Baptist Church this morning. I'm Mark Bogan, for those of you who don't know me, and Aaron Householder, our pastor, and his family are on vacation this week, and it is a privilege for me to fill in for him, uh, to give him a break. He works hard for us and uh, for the Lord, and uh, he needs to take time away from, from this and uh, um, recreate. The word recreation comes from the, the idea of being recreated, to be ready to come back and do it again. So we're uh, going to pray for him and, and just uh, thank, thank you so much for, uh, for supporting him and loving him and his family. When I think about... Um, this church family, I, I am so uh, happy to be here on a, on a weekly basis, but it seems like the last uh, couple months I haven't been here that much. I've been uh, off doing uh, things for the Lord. Uh, my son and I were able to go to China for 18 days uh, early in the summer to, uh, to meet with some uh, believers there and to encourage some people that are still seeking. And then this past week, I've been uh, out in Yellowstone National Park with a group of international students. I think we just missed the Clarks. They were in Gardner, Montana, maybe the night after we were there or the night before we were there. But So I took, uh, there were 25 of us, and we got into a couple vans, and we drove across the countryside. And when you think about the type of preparation that goes into that, you know, I'm not a, I, I don't consider myself a great organizer. I think I'm probably adequate. And, uh, you know, thinking about, where we're going to sleep each night. Uh, they want to eat like three times a day or more, so we have to figure out how to, how to feed them and what we're going to do with, with, uh, with that. You know, all the details of how much time does it take to get from this point to that point and how long should we stay and, you know, always trying to build in a little time for, for rest, which always seems to go away. But the most important component uh, that we did a good job with this time was making sure that we carved out a time for a devotion, each day, that, that we, as a group, as a leadership team, there were three other uh, guys, uh, Christian guys that went with me, and we decided that we were going to make sure, no matter what, that we were going to find time each day to share from God's Word, and our topic was, why I followed Jesus. So it was a question that we get asked a lot, you know, why we do this, why we, um, you know, spend a week, uh, you know, uh, not as tour guides, but as uh, friendship kind of uh, builders, and, and it's not a vacation by any means. I don't feel uh, necessarily rested or anything when I get done with this, but, but it's a great opportunity to get to know some students, and they, they asked a lot of great questions, and it, it was an opportunity to build the relationship. So uh, it's good to be back here with you today to, uh, to be refreshed, to sing praises to God, and to, uh, uh, to hear from God's Word. But that idea of preparation, that's what we're going to focus on today because God actually wants us to be prepared for anything and everything that he throws our way. Now, I was a Boy Scout, and uh, our motto, does anybody know what the Scout motto is besides Dick Clark? I think he was an Eagle Scout, right? So any other Scouts? Be prepared. Yeah, so God wants us to be prepared as well. Um, in the book Scouting for Boys, Lord Baden-Powell, he was the founder of the Boy Scouts, he said this about be prepared. He said, you are always in a state of readiness in mind and body to do your duty. Now, that's a great uh, lesson for life, that there are many things in our lives that we have to be prepared for, whether it's to be prepared to get up and go to work or go to school or 
Just take care of whatever responsibilities you have each and every day. But God has this to say in 1 Peter 3.15. I'm going to put on these glasses. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So today, when we think about God's word, we're going to think about what it means to be prepared, to give an answer. Um, I have sort of a, I have a gift in evangelism, and I know that that's not everybody's gift, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more. But I think that each and every one of us has a responsibility, an opportunity to share the good news that Jesus came to save sinners. And so when we read this verse, and we're going to look at a passage from the book of Acts, we're going to see how God prepares his people to do this. And I think it's a a message that every one of us can uh, take to heart today. So if you would, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 8, and we're going to start in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can he? How can I? He asked. Unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come and sit with him. And this is the passage of scripture that the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And so I would like to ask God right now to bless the reading of his word and ask him to guide us in understanding what this means for us. So would you please pray with me at this time? Our dearly Father, I do praise you and give you all the worship that is due you. We've come to this place as your people that you've set apart to build a kingdom, Lord. And we praise you as our Lord and our King. You are the creator of heaven and earth. And we know that it's in you that we live and move and have our being. And so, Lord, we ask that you would bless us. Bless your word as it goes forth today. Help us to understand how we can live this out in our life, how we can be your people on mission for you wherever we're at, whether we have uh, gifts of evangelism, gifts of service, gifts of hospitality, Lord, whatever the gifts are that you've given us, that we would use them to build your kingdom, to share the good news that Jesus came to save sinners. I do thank you so much for Jesus. I thank you that that he is alive today, preparing a place for us. And I look forward to that day when he returns. And I pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we can see in this passage a few important things about how we can 
be useful to build the kingdom, the kingdom of God. This man, Philip, let's first, let's talk about Philip. Who was Philip? Now, in Acts chapter 6, we see a list of men who were assigned, chosen to be the first deacons. And what does it mean to be a deacon? Anybody know what the word deacon means? Servant. Servant, yeah. So what were their qualifications? Now, and later, Paul has a whole list of qualifications for the deacons. But if we look in Acts chapter 6, verse 3, it gives two important qualifications that are the, the bedrock, the foundation of what it means to be a deacon. It says that they were known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. And so when you think about a servant, somebody full of the Spirit and wisdom, what does that mean? What does that look like? You know, it doesn't necessarily list their, you know, where their standing is in the community, how much money they have, uh, what degrees they possess. It's talking about spiritual qualities, their commitment to God, and God's blessing that, filling them with the Spirit, and uh, being controlled by the Spirit is another way you could look at being filled by the Spirit. You know, elsewhere in Scripture when it talks about being filled with the Spirit, when you become a Christ follower, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have the Holy Spirit. In your life. But being filled or controlled by the Spirit means a relinquishing or allowing the Spirit to direct your life. And so we see that Philip is this kind of person. He's, for, he's going to be known later on as Philip the Evangelist. He's mentioned like three times in Acts. Here in Acts 6, uh, chapter 8 is really dedicated to Philip. And then he's also mentioned in Acts 21 as uh, being Philip the Evangelist and uh, so interestingly, and I don't really know why, if anybody knows, you can tell me, but it mentions that he has four unmarried daughters who prophesy. So maybe he gets like automatic sainthood for having four daughters that are unmarried, uh, but he's a special guy. If you have four daughters, God bless you. Um, but this man was uh, considered um, something extraordinary, something special. Am I talking to somebody specifically over here? I don't know. But. So you automatically are uh, considered uh, for sainthood. But Philip was known as the evangelist. We've seen him already in chapter 6, being set aside as a man spirit-filled and and having wisdom, wisdom from God, the ability to discern, to make decisions. And the reason why that was important is because the whole situation started with there were uh, widows that were uh, needing to be served. And there was some conflict, you know, between the the people groups that were starting to to gather up in this new church. There were the... uh, the, the Jewish uh, widows, and then there were uh, Hellenistic, uh, and there was some, you know, Greek of Greek origin, and there was some difficulty, apparently, and, and maybe some favoritism or preferential treatment, and so these men were chosen to, to take care of that in a way that was appropriate and good and right, and that would reflect well on the church, okay? So he was originally... Uh, selected to take care of kind of a little sticky situation in their church. And that's important uh, when we think about, you know, who we select to do jobs around here. We should look at their gifts. We should look at their uh, being spirit-filled and whether they have wisdom to do that. So um, the first thing that happens in the passage, uh, Acts chapter 8, that I read, is that Philip is commanded to go south. And my uh, in-laws are going to start laughing at me because uh, I have no idea which way south is. So if the Spirit of the Lord told me to go south, I would have to get my phone out and maybe uh, do some GPS work. 
Um, you know, Carl always wants me to put something on the north side of the barn or move that over, you know, on the west side of the, you know, of the field or something like that. And I have no idea what he's talking about. It happened to me the other night even. Uh, we were bringing students back from uh, Yellowstone and we stopped in Bridgeport, the, uh, the homestead, the original home place of Carl and Nancy Brown. And uh, we were going to meet some cousins out at the lake. And she told me on the phone, you know, we'll be, we'll be back in the northwest corner. And uh, I was not uh, full of wisdom at that moment because I just said, okay. And uh, by the time we got out to the lake and drove it around a couple times, and apparently there's a whole other section that I wasn't really thinking about. Um, and then I forgot my phone. So I had to call, I tried to call my wife, no answer. Um, hadn't seen her in a week, but she didn't really want to talk to me. <laughs> I, tell, I called Carl. Um, he doesn't know how to spell the, the last name, so he went in and got Nancy. Uh, finally got a hold of them, and they explained where Northwest was. If I would have just asked to begin with, it would have saved a lot of trouble. So if the Spirit of the Lord comes to you and says, go south, uh, hopefully you'll be able to find it. Uh, I'm hoping, I'm praying that he gives me a little bit more uh, direction for the directionally challenged person. But Philip went out without asking any questions. Uh, we don't see any questions in the passage when he says, uh, go south, and then he describes the place where he's going to have him meet up um, to, to go to the road, the desert road, so maybe I would know where the desert road was, but that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. So that was a well-traveled road uh, defined uh, where, where people would travel. And so Stephen, or excuse me, Philip goes out, and he does what he's told. And so the question for you, the application question, I don't know how I'm following along with the slides, Chris, but um, are you listening to the Spirit's direction in your life? Where is he telling you to go? What um, directions is he giving you? It may not be, uh, you know, uh, north, south, east, west directions. Um, It may be something different. It may be depending on your specific context or situation. You know, you're already going somewhere. You're going to work you're going to school, you're going to the grocery store, you're going somewhere, uh, but is he giving you something special, some special information or special direction in your life? And one of the things I find, uh, we, we do this, and I include myself in this as well, when we ask God for direction, we actually need to stop and listen for the answer. And this could be in any context of praying or seeking. You know, we, we say, Lord, give me wisdom, give me direction, Amen, and then we get up and then we go. Uh, But somehow we need to have a sense of expectation that God is going to deliver an answer when we we call out to him. And he actually promises this over and over again in Scripture. One Scripture that I really uh, cherish in my life is Isaiah 65, 24. And, And this actually just blows me away sometimes. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. And and God promises an answer. It may not be the answer you want. Um, It may not be uh, the immediacy or the specificity that you require, but he's going to answer one way or another. He's going to honor that. Jesus confirms this also in Matthew 7, 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. God wants to, to hear from us, and he wants to respond to us. That's a general truth uh, from Scripture, that that when you ask, uh, he's going to answer. And we need to listen. We need to stop. And in whatever way that is, it may be amount of time. It may be just getting away. 
uh, there's often, you know, there's a, a scripture that says that uh, when he's uh, dealing with Elijah, he says that he spoke in a soft whisper, a gentle voice. And so it may not be loudspeaker coming over, you know, attention, Mr. Bogan, I want you to go south. Excuse me, where's south? No, he says uh, it could be just a, a, a quiet, a gentle uh, nudge. So we need to have a, a sense of expectation that he's going to respond and seeking and continuing to listen through that, okay? So the next part of this passage that really stands out to me, and I've used this concept before, uh, but I think it's really important, is the idea that God is sending him on a divine appointment. Have you heard that, that concept before, a divine appointment, that, that we have our daily planners and we have our calendar and to-do list, and God has uh, perhaps a different set, of, set of, uh, of to-dos. And they could either align with ours or they could be uh, going in a completely different direction. I don't know what Philip planned to do this day when he woke up, um, but God said, go south to the desert road. Philip went south to the desert road, whether it was on his planner or not. And so, you know, when you think about a divine appointment, um, we need to have the ability to adapt, to be flexible for God. And I know that, that this is difficult. And in our daily lives, you know, we have uh, your boss requires you to be, you know, on the time clock or at the job or if you have an appointment uh, that you can't miss or you have to be in school um, or whatever it is. There's a lot of structure that sort of crowds us out in our lives. So we, we really have to recognize that and, and uh, understand how to... Uh, let God fit in and, and control and drive our, our lives. But I find that he, he works within that if you want him to, if you allow him to, that he's going to uh, honor that, that you've made commitments to take care of your family, to have a job, to have other, other things going on in your life. And he'll use those as part of his, his daily uh, planner. You might ask the question, why a divine appointment in this situation? So let's look just for a, a few minutes about this uh, person that, that Philip is going out to talk to. The Ethiopian eunuch is how he's described in this passage. Now, so first of all, Ethiopian may be a word that's uh, maybe not specific to the country that we think of as Ethiopia today. Um, it could have been uh, an empire called Kush. That was kind of a generic you know, it'd be sort of like saying the African. Um, so this, this could have been not specifically Ethiopia, but a, but a different area. But still, not um, Jerusalem, not Judea. Philip's already gone to Samaria to, uh, to witness to the Samarians. And now God, the Holy Spirit, is directing him to enact the next part of the Acts 1-8 passage. It says, you will be my witnesses, first in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. So this would be sort of getting into that category, the uttermost parts of the earth, right? So when you think about a divine appointment, and you think about your daily routine and who you interact with, a divine appointment might put you in a situation where you're uh, considering someone as a uh, kind of a gospel conversation opportunity that you wouldn't necessarily put on your daily planner. Uh, when you think about some of the, the things that are built into this person, the Ethiopian eunuch, one, um, he's not, he doesn't look like Philip. He, he looks different. 
So our human nature says that maybe that isn't somebody that I want to talk to or I want to deal with. If we're honest with ourselves, you know, we are more comfortable with people that are like us. He's uh, in a chariot. Uh, he's actually considered a, a member of the royal kind of uh, administration. You know, he has an important job. So he might look uh, wealthy. You know, he might appear in dress that's significantly, you know, better than, than Philip. So that might cause a barrier. You know, somebody that's of a different economic class. Um, you know, he's uh, also called the eunuch. So let's think about what that means just for a second. So that's um, a, a minority that's, that's really difficult for us to, uh, to deal with. And, and it's particularly uh, poignant in today's uh, age with a lot of gender and sexual uh, identity issues. That this man doesn't fit into the... Um, you know, male, female standard that we really want, that we really need. But that is not a barrier for God to have Philip go and talk to him, okay? So when you think about all of the things that could keep Philip from saying, yeah, that's somebody I should share the gospel with. He looks different. He has a different economic, social class. Um, He's from a different culture, a different background. um, And he has this kind of you know, sexual identity uh, issue that, that may be uncomfortable, may be different, may be other than uh, what we would choose or what we would uh, even require as a church, as a people of God. The eunuchs were actually excluded uh, from temple worship in Deuteronomy. And so, you know, that's already been established. A good Jewish man would understand that, that those people were considered outsiders, uh, being from a foreign country would consider him to be far away from God. Um, it does say that the eunuch uh, had been to Jerusalem to worship, so we don't really know what his relationship was uh, with God at this point, but he's definitely seeking God. He's definitely interested in the things of God. He's, uh, he's going to worship. He's reading scripture when uh, Philip encounters him, uh, but that might not be something that would be noticeable from a distance. So without um, the Holy Spirit saying, go to that chariot and stay near it, he wouldn't have an opportunity. He wouldn't have a recognition of some of those things that are revealed to him. Once he's obedient with one step, then God gives him the next step, right? He doesn't give him the whole picture ahead of time. He says, go south. He goes south. He says, go to that chariot. He goes to that chariot. It actually says that he ran up to the chariot, so he's doing it with some some intentionality, you know, that he's uh, uh, doing it with purpose. And he heard the man reading. So obviously the, the Ethiopian eunuch is one of those people that reads out loud. Philip knows that he was reading it. You uh, like or don't like, but, <laughs> but we know that he was reading it. And Philip knows that he was reading it. And so when you think about yourself, don't automatically reject somebody uh, just because of some criteria that you've established, the world's. Uh, perspective, an earthly uh, attitude. Remember, Ephesians 2 says that you were once far away from the people of God, but it was the blood of Christ that brought you near. Okay, so each and every one of us would be excluded for one reason or another, I'm confident, and yet God included us in the blood of Christ. And we need to have that attitude as a church, and we need to be really mindful of that, that we are uh, welcoming, that we are loving. Yes, Uh, repentance and and, uh, changed hearts are going to result, 
But if we don't even give them the opportunity to hear the gospel, then that's not going to happen. Okay? So I think this is really an important part of this story when we think about, you know, Philip ministering to the Ethiopian eunuch. All right. So what was the result, just kind of as an aside, we'll get into some more qualities of Philip in a, in a second, but when you think about the Ethiopian eunuch, and we know that later, at, towards the end of the story, which I didn't read, that he does uh, affirm his belief, that he accepts, that he uh, receives the gift that's offered him. Uh, church history says that this man went on to, to start a, a vibrant church in his home country, uh, that kingdom of Cush, that there was a, a later... Uh, one of the uh, church fathers, Irenaeus, uh, refers to this man and says that he started a church in his home country. So that's the result of the obedience of Philip, going uh, without knowledge to an appointment that God had established for him, to somebody that he may or may not have really uh, been targeting or interested in, however you want to look at that, in sharing the gospel with. And the other part of this that's really fascinating to me is, so he's, he's sharing Isaiah 53. Uh, you know, that's the passage that's referred to in the text, right? That, that's what the passage that the Ethiopian eunuch was reading. But um, in Isaiah 56, just three chapters later, it says this. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and chooses what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. To them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name which will not be cut off. And so I feel that this divine appointment is uh, finally, and maybe most importantly, in a, a fulfillment of God's scripture, a promise to the eunuchs, to the foreigners, that they would be included in the people of God. And so, you know, when you think about how the, we say that God works in mysterious ways, and that is definitely true. We cannot understand the ways of God. But in retrospect, we can see how God established an appointment for Philip to go meet with this guy who is a seeker, who is worshiping God, who is interested in knowing the truths about God, and it fulfills immediately this passage and continues to fulfill that with every single person that, that fits into that, that is welcomed, that is embraced, that is loved. Uh, we can deal with uh, uh, you know, theology and, and right living with the Holy Spirit's help, but the first step is to, to have a conversation. So let's use our spiritual eyesight to gain insight into what God is doing around us so that we can be a part of building God's kingdom. So back to Philip, because he's really kind of the main person in this passage. Uh, he was seeking opportunities to proclaim the gospel. Um, when in Acts 8.29, go to that chariot and stay near it. Like I said, he ran. He ran with intentionality and purpose. He was ready. He was prepared to do what God would have him do. And so how are you looking for opportunities in your life? Are you willing to wait for just the right moment? Now, how long will you wait? Is there somebody in your workplace or your family, a friend, somebody that you've been sharing the gospel with for some time that just doesn't seem to respond? How long are you willing to, to stand there by the chariot and wait? Uh, to pray for them, to serve them, to love them. So Philip demonstrates that, and 
we see it immediately happen with him, but it doesn't always happen that way, right? But we need to be ready and waiting. When you think of personal evangelism, this is one of those uh, topics that, uh, that probably scares most of us. Um, you know, how do we share our faith? How do we do that? Uh, later in the fall, Aaron's going to kind of go through a sermon series uh, that's, uh, that's been put together by the North American Mission Board called Who's Your One? And you're going to be encouraged to pick one person to pray for and to serve, and we're going to get into that uh, later. We may do some uh, more training, but I just want to raise a few of the barriers and roadblocks that keep people uh, from sharing their faith. The number one is fear, and you could fill in the blank, fear of confrontation. Maybe you don't feel like you're the kind of person that wants to, to get into any kind of conflict or confrontation. And I'm not suggesting that that's what you do here. Um, you can see that Philip asks a question. Um, he doesn't, uh, he's not uh, telling him he's a sinner, that he's arguing with him about anything. He asks him a simple question. Do you understand what it is that you're reading? And so uh, oftentimes a simple question could be uh, a good starting point. Um, Carl actually taught me this, that you know, if you're asking questions, you're understanding where they're coming from, that you're getting an idea of their perspective. Where are they at right now? And then you can go to them and meet them, deal with objections, of course, but in a loving and kind way. In the passage that we started with in 1 Peter, it says that we're supposed to give an answer with what? Do you remember the passage? 1 Peter 3.15? With kindness and gentleness. So that's the kind of attitude that we can have when we are sharing, when we're asking. Asking for permission. Have you ever asked somebody uh, if, they, if you could have an opportunity to share with them? If they're going through a, a problem in their life, um, maybe Scripture speaks to that. In fact, I should rephrase that. Scripture speaks to their problems in one way or another. May I share with you how I've dealt with that or how the Bible answers that question? May I share with you? That's going to go a long way. You're going to have permission. And then when they start getting a little agitated, uh, you've already kind of diffused that as an adversarial situation. You're now in more of a collaborative approach. Let's look at this together. Instead of me fighting against you, me arguing and trying to win an argument or a com uh, confrontation. So fear can be overcome by a change of attitude. You're helping. You're serving. You're loving. You're not, uh, you're not really responsible for the changing of their hearts. The Holy Spirit's going to do that. You're responsible for communicating uh, truth. And so, you know, we don't want criticism. We don't want failure. Uh, we don't want to appear foolish. But if God is changing your life, if the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, then he's going to do the hard part, and obedience is our part. Uh, some people deny responsibility, and this kind of goes into what I started off with. You know, maybe that's not my gift. I don't have the gift of evangelism. Um, I have uh, other gifts. I serve behind the scenes. And, that, and that's definitely uh, valid, that there are people that have an extraordinary ability to just uh, cut right to the truth and share the gospel with, with power, and supernaturally so. Um, but each and every one of us have the responsibility to fulfill the Great Commission, to go and make disciples, to teach, uh, to train, and so we need to look at this as the gifts are those really task force special, uh, you know, abilities and, and opportunities. But each and every one of us have the gift of or the, the obligation to give and to have faith and to serve and to love. Uh, whether you have that as a 
uh, a gift or not. And evangelism is the same way. They were all supposed to be ready, be prepared to give an answer for the hope that lies in us. And so having the gift or not doesn't excuse you. Um, another one, as far as denying responsibility, is that's the pastor's job. Um, when you look at what the pastor's job is from Scripture, the pastor's job is to train us to do the work of the ministry. That's from Ephesians chapter 4. So we're all supposed to be doing the work of ministry, and the pastors have this gift and training to teach us how to do it and to lead by example and to, uh, to promote that and to remind us and to correct us. Um, but we all have this ministry of reconciliation, as it's called in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Another barrier is a lack of urgency or a lack of clarity about really what's at risk. Um, you know, if we're too busy, if life kind of takes over and crowds out uh, these responsibilities, then it's easy to say, well, I'll do that later or, or I have these things I need to take care of right now. But when we think about what's really at stake, the eternal uh, salvation and security of, of these people, uh, that can change our perspective quite a bit. To know that, um, that that might be the last time or the only time that you get to share, to uh, communicate the truth, the life-changing truth of Jesus Christ. So we need to have that as a perspective that, that this, is, this is important. This is God's work for us, uh, for each believer and the church to accomplish. And then the lack of faith, I think, is uh, probably the last one. And that kind of encapsulates all of these. You know, not believing uh, that God can use us. Uh, we don't know what Philip was like before the Holy Spirit came upon him, but I know for sure that the Holy Spirit changed Philip's life. And he's called Philip the evangelist because the Holy Spirit is working through him, uh, not because he was an evangelist before that. So just remember that Philip uh, may or may not have been an ordinary guy, uh, but when we select deacons, we select from a pool of extraordinary guys, um, but they're also ordinary in, in a sense too. They're extraordinary because God is making them that way, and they love God. So later on when we do the who's your one, I want you to start really praying about that and thinking about what can I do to be an evangelist in where I'm at, in my context? Not necessarily going out on the street corner with the bullhorn or anything like that, but, but um, just being uh, mindful that we can share the truth, the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. And the last thing that Philip exhibits that really is going to help us overcome all of these problems is preparation. Now, there's a saying that no plan survives contact with the enemy. I think it was some field marshal from Prussia or something that said that. But um, uh, General Eisenhower actually said that planning is, uh, or that the plans are irrelevant, but the planning is indispensable. And what he's talking about is uh, putting yourself into situations getting training to help you adapt and deal with every situation that you have. And when Philip asked the question, what is it you're reading, and they read Isaiah together, do you think Philip had ever seen that passage before? I think he had. I think that was a, that was a divine appointment with just the right guy at the right time, and he knew what that passage was talking about and was able to unpack that. And you can read Isaiah. Isaiah is the gospel of Jesus from the Old Testament. There are so many passages in Isaiah that, that speak to the lostness of each and every person, that speak to the need for a Savior, that he would send a baby, that it would be born unto us, a child, a son, and that this would be a, a significant and life-altering uh, event. 
And, you know, just going through the light to the Gentiles, the idea that this would be a, a sacrificial servant, not a conquering hero, and then ultimately that he would build a kingdom uh, of these people uh, that he's drawing to himself. And so I think Philip had seen this passage before. He knew uh, what this passage was speaking about, and he was able to give an answer when asked. How can I understand this unless someone explains it to me, the eunuch says. And I feel that way a lot. How can I understand this? This is hard. This is difficult. And so the Holy Spirit is teaching us. Uh, We have some great teachers in this church. We have uh, access to all kinds of materials worldwide, you know, on the internet and books. Uh, Lack of training um, is on us. There's definitely plenty of opportunities to get some training. So we've talked about asking appropriate questions, we've talked about getting permission to share, and we've talked about this idea of being prepared to to give an answer. So when you study scripture, you can study scripture with this in mind, like how how would I answer this question? How would I deal with this situation? That's one way you can approach scripture. What is this scripture saying to me, and how might that apply in somebody's life that I know? Um, one of the great verses that, uh, that we learn every year in Awana is 2 Timothy 2.15. And it says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. And so that could be a life verse for, for, for us, that we would be studying the scriptures, that we would be showing our, our commitment to God as workers for him. You know, when you start a job and you get the employee manual, how many ever read that? Anybody ever read that? Nah, kind of. You just kind of scan through it. Don does. I know Dan does because she wants to know what is it I'm signing? What do I agree to? Um, can I wear open-toed sandals or slingbacks and all that? So um, this is like the manual. This is telling us the information that we need to know to go out and do the job. And if we're committed to the job and this is an important job, then we should, uh, then we should be uh, correctly handling the word of truth as uh, uh, Paul tells Timothy. When uh, we think about the scripture, this is kind of my last point, you know, it refers to the scripture. At this point in history, how much scripture was there? Was there any New Testament at this point? I don't know. I don't think so. I think this is talking about the Old Testament, that, that Philip is communicating the truth of Jesus from the scriptures. Uh, John uh, chapter 5 Uh, records Jesus as saying a very similar thing, just in case you want to debate about when maybe some of those early, you know, Gospels or whatever were written. But John chapter 5, Jesus says, You study the Scripture diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very Scriptures that testify about me. So he's definitely speaking about the Old Testament in that one. So don't neglect the Old Testament. That's my my point here, that that there is a rich... uh, uh, group of information there that we need to remember and understand how it fits with the coming of Jesus and the fulfillment of all of those prophecies. Uh, So I don't want to scare you away, but take some time, like alternate maybe. There's actually two-thirds Old Testament, one-third New Testament. Spend some time in the Old Testament. It has something to offer you. All the scripture is God-breathed and useful for all of those tasks that we have to accomplish. So don't neglect that. And when Philip is handling the word of truth. Um, He's sharing in a way that's um, affirming uh, to the Ethiopian eunuch. He's he's communicating truth that he needs to know to understand 
what it takes to have eternal life. And so for each and every one of us here, we also have that same opportunity and responsibility to know what it takes to have eternal life. So I want to ask each and every one of you in your own minds and hearts, do you know what you must do to be saved? Later on in Acts, that question is asked of Paul, the, uh, the jailer in uh, Philippi. What must I do to be saved? And he says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And this is useful for you and your whole family. And so you could boil it down to that. But if you could go further and you could show how God had a plan to create a people. And in order to create that people, he had to send a son to redeem them, to purchase them, to buy them out of their sin and their bondage. And he's forming a people that's going to last into eternity. And that's going to be called the church. And so when you think about in your life, listening to the Holy Spirit's leading as you walk with God each day, making sure that if God has an appointment for you that it can fit into your daily planner, um, he's going to honor your daily planner if you're honoring his. Seek opportunities to proclaim the gospel in your context, using your gifts. Each gift supports the body, and the body's work is to make disciples. And you can be prepared to communicate the life-changing truth of the good news. It could be as simple as, I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I can see. I was lame, now I can walk. And giving them an opportunity to have that same life-changing experience, meeting the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, that he came to save every sinner from eternity uh, that would be separated from God, to give them an everlasting life in heaven. That's, that's it. That's all we got to do, right? The Holy Spirit's got to do the hard part. We just have to start by going south, maybe figuring out which way south is, running up to the chariot, listening, having listening skills, identifying what's the, the situation with that person's life, and then being ready to give an answer uh, when asked, and finding ways to introduce the concept um, that the gospel is life-changing. So I'm going to pray. If anybody has uh, anything that they would like to decide today, whether you are uh, hearing this message and thinking, wow, I don't know if I've ever accepted Jesus, uh, you can come down and do that. We'll have a deacon up here. I'll be up here. Um, if you would like to be a member of this church, we would love to have you. This is a great church. Uh, my family and I have been coming here for uh, my entire uh, <laughs> Christian existence. Uh, no, we were gone for a little bit in the middle, but this is a great church to raise a family. Uh, don't hesitate to do that right now because to grow as disciples. If you need to make some other commitment in your life, don't hesitate to do that right now because you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Pray with me. Our dear Heavenly Father, I do thank you so much for bringing us to this place, for giving us your word, for preserving it and handing it down to us, Lord, for making it available in a language that we can understand, for having uh, such great teachers and materials and, and uh, the ability to, to, uh, to understand that, Lord. Father, you've, uh, you've given us everything, and yet uh, you ask us to go out and share that good news with others so that they could be included in the family of God, so that each and every one of us would, would consider what that means to us right now, today. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he willingly gave his life for us as an atonement for sin to make a way, a path, to have this relationship with you. And Lord, I give this day to you, and I lift it all up to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.